you get to have more certainty in any bit of your forecasting. So whether you're a CPG company and you have a new initiative and you really want to go big behind it, what is that actually going to do realistically in stores as opposed to kind of over forecasting and using a lot more sales math or under forecasting um, depending on your retailer because every retailer is different, right? And for retailers on that side too, is it's a powerful tool to figure out where exactly they should lean in and what, you know, what trends, depending on what the CPG companies have to offer. Well, hello there, this is Milena and welcome to another episode of Retail Mavericks podcast. It is my pleasure to host Melissa today, US-based analytical consultant at Hybrid. Melissa comes from consumer products background, working as an account manager and later as a senior category development account executive at Procter & Gamble. So without any further ado, we'll jump straight into our conversation, kicking it off with a discussion about store clustering, what it is, what types of clustering exist, why retailers and CPG manufacturers do it, and how it has been evolving. Enjoy. Store clustering is exactly what it sounds like. So it is grouping stores based on some metric quality, etc. So CPG companies and retailers would want to do this for generally the same reasons, but retailers want to do this because from a practical standpoint, it makes execution a lot easier. So there are two levels of clusters based on that. So there's macro clusters, which I would say most retailers do in some capacity, whether they execute on them or not is kind of a different story, but there is the macro cluster, which is I'm going to take all my stores, look at the planograms for each of my stores and say, this group of stores, they all have a 12 foot set with 16 inches deep and all of the fixtures in the exact same place. And that's one cluster. And then I could have a cluster that looks very similar, except instead of 16 inches deep, it's 12 inches deep. So now it's an entirely separate cluster. So it helps stores categorize what they want to do if those stores have like different needs um, based on their capacity constraints. For a CPG company, they have a slightly similar motive, but retailers can have this too, which is it helps them be able to categorize their own products and figure out which stores they need to put their items in either most efficiently or they should be targeting period. So if I have a barbecue sauce and it is a Texas barbecue sauce, I know it is going to do well, obviously, in Texas. So I want to target all of those stores within Texas, maybe in the adjacent states too. That is most important to me. It might not be important to the retailer. So the retailer might not cluster that way, but the CPG company might. So in that way, there's just different ways to slice the clustering that a store would do. So that's really a, a kind of push and pull between the retailer and the CPG company is how they cluster, maybe suggestions for clustering, and uh, what the best effective way to do it, especially depending on the category. It could be a lot different, even if it's the same retailer of what the best way to cluster is. There's this other type of clustering, which is 
microclustering, which is kind of what I alluded to before with these kind of Texas barbecue sauce. So I can end up clustering a store based on all the stores in Texas or all the stores in the South or the Southeast. And then that would be a micro cluster because it's based on something that's not fixture or planogram related. So we're talking demographic, we're talking, you know, actual geographic area based on sales or volume or what have you. And that's generally how some clusters are decided. Yeah, it's evolved in a little bit of a different way just because we have more data, period. And there are CPG companies and retailers that are capitalizing on that data and they're obtaining it. And now we're, we're having all of these companies who are trying to figure out, we have this data, let's figure out what to do with it. Once they have it and they figure out what to do with it, it's, it's about using what's most effective. So now it's changed because people are trying to figure out and they're slowly figuring out how to act on that data. So saying, hey, there's some sort of trend here based on this region, this group of people, how can we best cater to those groups and grow sales based on this metric that we found? It's it's pretty rudimentary and simplistic, but we've gotten more towards microclustering and the process is slowly becoming more advanced as our capabilities advance as well. So with the current approach that most CPGs and retailers utilize when it comes to clustering, would you say that there are limitations to that approach? 100%. <laughs> so I, I can definitely speak to that from personal experience as I was on the CPG side and I had a huge project to do of trying to cluster myself. So I think what most CPG and retailers do in terms of clustering is doing it 100% by hand. So Again, we're talking micro clusters. So we use pretty rudimentary, just like Excel pattern finding data. So you end up either kind of defaulting to this bias of what you think that a cluster would be. So everyone in the South really likes X over people in the North who like Y. And that is pretty overly simplistic, but that's the the easiest way to do it, especially if you don't have the extra resources, whether it's people, money, time, tools, to be able to make things more complicated than that. Because once you start to get, even if you know that's too rudimentary, once you start to get more complicated and you know that maybe some of your assumptions are fallacies, it starts to become incredibly complex to attempt to move those pieces around and try to really narrow down the right stores to the right groups and like what exactly you're grouping on. So currently people do it in a really rudimentary way just because of capacity constraints for how you would end up making it more complicated or making it more precise. So the current landscape is if it is done, it's pretty basic um, as they try to move towards um, a more complex approach, but it, it's difficult. If you were to summarize main pain points faced when using this approach, what would those be? It is a combination of time, because once the CPG works 
in the same way, every category, no matter what, same thing. So it's all in the cyclical time frame of you have your whole category, you know, bound by a reset. So you have your line review timing, you have your actual reset timing, you do your postmortem or analysis of the, the reset, and then you have maybe uh, a JVP season or a, a, a joint plan season, and then you start it all over again. And it's usually every single year you end up doing this. And even categories that may do it less often, even if it's every two years, it's, it's still a short amount of time. Time is one of the biggest limitations. And then because time is a limitation, it's also just sheer brain power. I'm not throwing my full self under the bus and calling myself stupid, but I will say it is, it starts to become like a whiteboard math problem where you have like that big dramatic chalkboard and you're writing out all these equations to try to figure out what matches and what doesn't. And in a tight time constraint, and I don't have some sort of multi-variable calculus degree, it becomes a way more difficult process of trying to uh, find trends and find find groups and what sticks. So I think it's those are the, the biggest issues doing it that way. And then a lot of stores and retailers, even if you did an individual cluster, quote unquote, if you did one and have a plan to for every single store, it becomes incredibly complex. I mean, if you think about a chain like a Dollar General, you know, if they did store specific planograms, they have like 16, 17,000 stores. That would be obscene to be able to do that many store specific planograms of every single store. So there, there would just not be enough resources to do it that way. So even when you cluster, if you want to do it more specific, you just, it just becomes an incredibly complex math problem that most people can't solve. Can you tell me about hybrid curates and how it can revolutionize a retailer's or CPG manufacturer's approach to store clustering? Transparently, one of the main selling points of even working at Hyvry was Curate's capacity for clustering because it is what I did right before I worked here. And it was so incredibly painful to try to do clustering by hand that when I heard that there was a company that did it using technology, I said, what are they doing? That's great. I wonder if they're hiring. So that it makes it astronomically simpler and easier to use Curate as opposed to pretending like you can do this by hand. What Curate will end up doing is massive amounts of equations, like I said before, of that like big whiteboard problem and that big chalkboard problem, but it does it and it's a computer. One of my favorite teachers of all time, she was my calculus and pre-calc teacher in high school. And one of the funniest things she's ever said was, don't be a hero, use a calculator. And this is exactly that same <laughs> energy, which is don't fall on your sword and fall on your laurels to pretend like this is a problem that you can do by hand. This is something that you should absolutely use a tool for. It's going to be faster. It's going to be smarter. It's going to be more accurate. That is exactly what, what Curate is. It solves all of those, those pain points that I talked about before and, and then some. So it helps you make 
the complex situation not only easier, but it brings ideas to the table that you didn't realize you also wanted. So it's giving you something that you didn't even realize you wanted as well. So it is incredibly powerful to to use and will give you trends that you didn't realize, especially by taking out the you know trouble of any analysis, which is the human bias of, I think, of any analysis in my experience. Um, I came from a home care background in CPG. So for example, there's dish care. And one of the kind of central biases that we say is people in major cities don't have dishwashers. Therefore, why would we have so much dishwasher detergent in the stores near major cities? By assuming that none of those people have dishwashers, and then you're going to limit their assortment based on that is incorrect. So Curate, I think, holistically gets rid of that human bias of just the assumption based on your experience, what you've seen, and uses the data instead of your own personal experience for what you you think the category is going to do. What does the customer experience look like when using the tool? I would say to start using the tool, a customer really needs a starting off with a, a business question. So everybody and their mother is doing it right now. So I have a price increase and I make jam, let's say. So I go into using the tool with this initial business question. And essentially what you're starting to do and what I especially help them do is set up the landscape of what their current situation looks like. So what the category looks like with all of the appropriate sales data, but then all of the tribal knowledge that that person has in their head of what realistically can happen within that retailer, whether there's DC constraints, whether you know certain items can be turned in the way that they are. So you know, if we're talking jam, you can't have a jam jar on a side or else it's gonna roll all over the place. So orientation rules, DC constraints, where items can go on the shelf, and then once that's created, the the world's kind of your oyster in terms of what you can do with that landscape of what you can create. So for that price increase example, I can now attempt to simulate a price increase for a certain brand, a certain item, and increase the price by however much I want. So whether that's 2%, two and a half, and then I can scenario plan each simulation and then figure out exactly what is going to happen in the category, especially based on an efficiency lens of, well, now that this jam is going up, you know, and having a price increase for 5%, now where should that item be? And what's its relation to the other items that exist in the category? And those are, those are really complicated questions, especially if you have, you start to have a bigger category, a more skew heavy category, but it, it really is going to be helpful for any category that has more than three items in it. Can you give me a few examples of the types of microclusters that one can create using the capabilities of Hybrid Curate? So you can make a, a microcluster on anything, really, any trait that you so desire. But what's great about Curate is you can back into it however you want. So you can say, hey, I want all of the stores that do over-index in teeth whitening because I have this new teeth whitening product that's coming out. 
So I want to know the stores where I want to put this product. Or you can back into it the other way and say, especially retailers would, would benefit more from this is to say like, hey, what are the clusters that I even should be focusing on? I'm not going to give it a trait or I'm not going to look for a specific trait. I just want the data just tell me the story. I think both are incredibly valid. It obviously depends, again, on that push and pull of what the CPG company wants and what the retailer wants and what's best for them in the category. But what Curate does is because you can back into it either way, it gives you so many options to be able to do that. It gives you the brain power to be able to say, these are the stores that you should have your teeth whitening products in it. So if you take it, you know, if you take a retailer like Walmart, it's all over the country. So you aren't isolated to say, well, I see a trend in the Northeast, but that's not necessarily every store in the Northeast. So now you can specifically target all stores all over the country. And it's particularly powerful for small retailers and small CPG companies who have a very niche product that they want to sell in a specific area, especially if you do something as emerging as anything natural, plant-based, organic, which is always huge and always way overspaced in every category I have ever seen at every retailer, which is this leaning in with all these plant-based products and you end up taking away space from the, the core. So how do I, as either a CPG manufacturer with naturals products, or how do I, as a retailer, limit that space, but really grow it effectively and have it in the best places? And Curate can do that and not tell you this biased opinion of, this is where I think the organic people shop because it's kind of near a Trader Joe's or a Whole Foods. Um, so Curate can give you more specifics with data of like where you should be actually putting your stuff. So throughout this conversation, you have mentioned a lot of benefits that Hybrid Curate offers to CPGs and retailers. And just to create structure around our conversation, can you please summarize the key benefits one would get out of using the tool? Yeah, so I would say there's probably four benefits. One, for both CPG and retailers, you get weeks or even like months time back for any of these analyses. It took me weeks and weeks to do the clustering that I did for my former role. And it was incredibly simple. It was nowhere near as complicated. So you get all of that time back and you get the complexity behind clustering that you wouldn't have been able to do by hand in the first place, even if you had a bunch of time to begin with. So that's the first. The second is you get to have more certainty in any bit of your forecasting. So whether you're a CPG company and you have a new initiative and you really want to go big behind it, what is that actually going to do realistically in stores as opposed to, you know, kind of over forecasting and using a lot more sales math or under forecasting, um, depending on your retailer, because every retailer is different, right? And for retailers on that side too, is it's a powerful 
tool to figure out where exactly they should lean in and what, you know, what trends, depending on what the CPG companies have to offer. Uh, the third is very similar along those lines, which it is a fantastic negotiating tool based on that. So retailers can ask for way more resources than they were able to before because they have specific store level data that they can use and make valid data-based points instead of bias points to say, hey, this isn't going to do well here. I'm not bringing it in, as opposed to making it overly emotional in the different way. And then a CPG company can say, hey, I know this product is going to do well, and this is why it deserves you know, space at the store or distribution in XYZ number of stores. So I think that is incredibly powerful to be able to use a data-backed tool and to say, this is the segment and direction that we should be going in. And then the last is just overall strategy. Honestly, is just looking at where your category is growing, especially after COVID. Everyone knows that every category is going wherever. I don't think a soul could have predicted that once COVID was starting to ramp up, that people were going to start hoarding toilet paper. That is going to be incredibly helpful to guide strategic decisions, especially over a long period of time where you don't want to lean in both supply-wise, because supply is obviously huge at this point, and you don't want to lean in too heavy on um, funding or resources on something that's just not going to pan out. I think everyone after COVID saw every retailer with just these huge dump bins of hand sanitizer because they were not tracking accurately what that trend was going to be. So then they couldn't give away hand sanitizer fast enough. They were practically giving it away for free and they still couldn't do it. So that curate is going to help you actually correctly gauge trends. So you're not wasting money and you're not wasting time. Whether it's a CPG company or a retailer, you just don't have the, you can't afford to waste time um, in such a short sales cycle. This is great, but I'm sure even after you give this speech, there are still people who are not sure about changing their approach and using this new technology. So what would you say to those people? I think transparently, the boots on the ground people, you probably shouldn't be sold because you're already sold on the idea. Because you know from firsthand experience, like I did, this will make your life astronomically easier. I don't have to f do any finessing in terms of math. I think once you start to get to sales leadership, that might be, you know, more out of the boots on the ground work of like, why do I need to pay for this? This is kind of whatever. I think, again, it goes back to those strategic decisions of not forcing your sales network or your category network to do sales math and to do fake numbers because everyone's budgets are shrinking internally, but all the prices are going up for every consumer product. So to pretend like that is not something that you want to get accurate on is what your P&L is actually going to look like based on what's realistically going to happen, especially within a a way tighter margin of error, depending on these shopping habits. I mean, you just 
that would it would just be incredibly foolish, especially in a time where technology is is absolutely just this most burgeoning tool that we could use in any way to actually extract data. You know, I think of every business school example uses Kodak is Kodak was riding high, loving it, and then crashed because they didn't move to digital fast enough. So this is the exact same scenario of you can have a retailer or a CPG company that says, oh, this is kind of expensive and I don't really feel like doing this. So they end up not doing it and they're going to get left behind. So the the train is coming whether you like it or not. It's just about whether you get on the train. It's coming with or without you. If you don't use it now, curate or any software to help you do this now, that's fine, but you will get left behind. And this is something that it's coming. You can attempt to plan for it, but I think a lot of these CPG companies, you're not software companies. So this is something that I think you could potentially try to build in-house, but I think managing that and being able to do that is a software company's job. And that's why Hydra exists. And that's why I work here. And we're going to do great things. To conclude our conversation today, I just have one last question. So with the onset of this new technology, what impact do you think it would have on the role of people with their boots on the ground? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. I think I think I talked to a lot of people who I used to work with and they also asked the same question of this is is this just going to fully replace my role? And the answer is not still not necessarily no because that that knowledge and that role is still needed but it's going to make your life astronomically easier. People still need to build planograms or know still more about planograms even if planogram generation becomes fully automated, you still need to double check your homework. You still need to double check whether you're doing the right thing. And someone needs to put in those inputs. You know, there's still going to be this other human side to what the work actually is. So those jobs won't go away. But what will go away is the busy work, is the data entry, all this really rudimentary stuff, because all these roles people needed to go to college. And I know no one went to college to type in some numbers in Excel and format a spreadsheet. So that's that's such a waste of time for both you and your intelligence, and then also the company that's hiring you um, and paying you to do stuff. So it's definitely not going away. But I think what is beneficial too is you get to now do more strategic planning work which is probably what you did go to college for and what your your company did hire you to do and it's much more interesting and engaging work than sitting in a spreadsheet and just you know constantly formatting and and pretending to do stuff strategic work is way more fun and i think everybody knows that Thank you for listening until the end of this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. To learn more about Hyvery Curate, you can navigate to hyvery.com forward slash curate and request a demo. Until the next time, everyone.